Section 100 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 100. The Beggar. He had seen better days, despite his present misery and infirmities. At the age of fifteen, both his legs had been crushed by a carriage on the Varvia Highway. From that time forth he begged, dragging himself along the roads and through the farmyards, supported by crutches which forced his shoulders up to his ears. His head looked as if it were squeezed in between two mountains. A foundling, picked up out of a ditch by the priest of Les Belettes on the eve of All Saints' Day and baptized, for that reason, Nicolas Toussaint, reared by charity, utterly without education, crippled in the consequence of having drunk several glasses of brandy given him by the baker, such a funny story, and a vagabond all his life afterward, the only thing he knew how to do was hold out his hand for alms. At one time the Baroness d'Averay allowed him to sleep in a kind of recess spread with straw, close to the poultry-yard in the farm adjoining the chateau, and if he was in great need he was sure of getting a glass of cider and a crust of bread in the kitchen. Moreover, the old lady often threw him a few pennies from her window, but she was dead now. In the villages people gave him scarcely anything. He was too well known. Everybody had grown tired of seeing him, day after day for forty years, dragging his deformed and tattered person from door to door on his wooden crutches. But he could not make up his mind to go elsewhere, because he knew no place on earth but this particular corner of the country, these three or four villages where he had spent the whole of his miserable existence. He had limited his begging operations, and would not for worlds have passed his accustomed bounds. He did not even know whether the world extended for any distance beyond the trees which always bounded his vision. He did not ask himself the question. And when the peasants, tired of constantly meeting him in their fields or along their lanes, exclaimed, "'Why don't you go to other villages instead of always limping about here?' He did not answer, but slunk away, possessed with a vague dread of the unknown, the dread of a poor wretch who fears confusedly a thousand things, new faces, taunts, insults, the suspicious glances of people who do not know him, and the policemen walking in couples on the roads. These last he always instinctively avoided, taking refuge in the bushes or behind heaps of stones when he saw them coming. When he perceived them in the distance, with uniforms gleaming in the sun, he was suddenly possessed with unwanted agility, the agility of a wild animal seeking its lair. He threw aside his crutches, fell to the ground like a limp rag, made himself as small as possible, and crouched like a hare under cover, his tattered vestments blending in hue with the earth on which he cowered. He had never had any trouble with the police, but the instinct to avoid them was in his blood. He seemed to have inherited it from the parents he had never known. He had no refuge, no roof for his head, no shelter of any kind. In summer he slept out of doors, and in winter he showed remarkable skill in slipping unperceived into barns and stables. He always decamped before his presence could be discovered. He knew all the holes through which one could creep into farm buildings, and the handling of his crutches having made his arms surprisingly muscular, he often hauled himself up through sheer strength of wrist into haylofts, where he sometimes remained for four or five days at a time, provided he had collected a sufficient store of food beforehand. He lived like the beasts of the field. He was in the midst of men, yet knew no one, loved no one, exciting in the breasts of the peasants only a sort of careless contempt and smoldering hostility. They nicknamed him Bell because he hung between his crutches like a church bell between its supports. For two days he had eaten nothing. No one gave him anything now. Everyone's patience was exhausted. Women shouted to him from their doorsteps when they saw him coming. Be off with you, you good-for-nothing vagabond. Why, I gave you a piece of bread only three days ago. And he turned on his crutches to the next house, where he was received in the same fashion. The women declared to one another as they stood at their doors, We can't feed that lazy brute all year round. And yet the lazy brute needed food every day. He had exhausted Saint-Hilaire, Varvia, and Les Boulettes without getting a single copper or so much as a dry crust. His only hope was in Tournol, but to reach this place he would have to walk five miles along the high road, 
and he felt so weary that he could hardly drag himself another yard. His stomach and pocket were equally empty, but he started on his way. It was December, and a cold wind blew over the fields and whistled through the bare branches of the trees. The clouds careered madly across the black, threatening sky. The cripple dragged himself slowly along, raising one crutch after the other with a painful effort, propping himself on the one distorted leg which remained to him. Now and then he sat down beside a ditch for a few moments' rest. Hunger was gnawing his vitals, and in his confused, slow-working mind he had only one idea—to eat. But how this was to be accomplished he did not know. For three hours he continued his painful journey. Then at last the sight of the trees of the village inspired him with a new energy. The first peasant he met, and of whom he asked alms, replied, "'So it's you again, is it, you old scamp? Shall I never be rid of you?' And Bell went on his way. At every door he got nothing but hard words. He made the round of the whole village, but received not a halfpenny for his pains. Then he visited the neighboring farms, toiling through the muddy land, so exhausted that he could hardly raise his crutches from the ground. He met with the same reception everywhere. It was one of those cold, bleak days when the heart is frozen and the temper irritable, and hands do not open either to give money or food. When he had visited all the houses he knew, Bell sank down in the corner of a ditch running along Chiquet's farmyard. Letting his crutches slip to the ground, he remained motionless, tortured by hunger, but hardly intelligent enough to realize to the full his unutterable misery. He awaited he knew not what, possessed with that vague hope which persists in the human heart in spite of everything. He awaited in the corner of the farmyard in the biting December wind, some mysterious aid from heaven or from men, without the least idea whence it was to arrive. A number of black hens ran hither and thither, seeking their food in the earth which supports all living things. Ever now and then they snapped up in their beaks a grain of corn or a tiny insect, and they continued their slow, sure search for nutriment. Bell watched them at first without thinking of anything. Then a thought occurred rather to his stomach than to his mind. He thought that one of those fowls would be good to eat if it were cooked over a fire of dead wood. He did not reflect that he was going to commit a theft. He took up a stone which lay within reach, and, being of skillful aim, killed at the first shot the fowl nearest to him. The bird fell on its side, flapping its wings. The others fled wildly hither and thither, and Bell, picking up his crutches, limped across to where his victim lay. Just as he reached the little black body with its crimson head, he received a violent blow in the back which made him let go of his crutches, and sent him flying ten paces distant, and Farmer Chiquet, beside himself with rage, cuffed and kicked the marauder with all the fury of a plundered peasant as Bell lay defenseless before him. The farmhands came up and also joined their master in cuffing the lame beggar, and then when they were tired of beating him, they carried him off and shut him up in the woodshed while they went to fetch the police. Bell, half dead, lay bleeding and perishing with hunger on the floor. Evening came, then night, then dawn, and still he had not eaten. About midday the police arrived. They opened the door of the woodshed with the utmost precaution, fearing resistance on the beggar's part, for Farmer Chiquet asserted that he had been attacked by him, and then had had great, great difficulty in defending himself. The sergeant cried, "'Come, get up!' But Bell could not move. He did his best to raise himself on his crutches, but without success. The police, thinking his weakness feigned, pulled him up by main force and set him between the crutches. Fear seized him. His native fear of a uniform, the fear of the game in the presence of the sportsman, the fear of a mouse for a cat, and by the exercise of almost superhuman effort he succeeded in remaining upright. "'Forward,' said the sergeant. He walked. All the inmates of the farm watched his departure. The women shook their fists at him, and the men scoffed at and insulted him. He was taken at last, good riddance. He went off between his two guards. He mustered sufficient energy, the energy of despair, to drag himself along until the evening, too dazed to know what was happening to him, too frightened to understand. People whom he met on the road stopped to watch him go by, and peasants muttered, It's some thief or other. Toward evening he reached the country town. He had never been so far before. He did not realize in the least what he was there for or what was to become of him. 
All the terrible and unexpected events of the last two days, all these unfamiliar faces and houses, struck dismay into his heart. He said not a word, having nothing to say because he understood nothing. Besides, he had spoken to no one for so many years past that he had almost lost use of his tongue, and his thoughts were too indeterminate to be put into words. He was shut up in the town jail. It did not occur to the police that he might need food, and he was left alone until the following day. But when in the early morning they came to examine him, he was found dead on the floor. Such an astonishing thing. End of section 100. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.